Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Bellerín, otro defensor, otro disparo, Monreal, gol. Marca el futbolista español, marca Nacho Monreal. Pim, pam, pum. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, Sunday evening to you. Sunday evening. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's accurate. It's accurate, if nothing else. I think I daren't even say the G word uh, this evening. I think it would be blasphemous to, it would. to, uh, to deploy it. Oh, yeah, look, uh, let's dive straight in because it's not long after the game is finished. And, well, were you there? I was there. Right. I was there. Um, um, what a night to be there. I'll remember it always. <laughs> After the, you know, after the game against Liverpool last week, which was positive, a real positive, I thought, even though there were elements within that Liverpool game where you had to question things and and what have you, it was still positive and it was like, okay, here we go, into an interlull, home game, let's get three points on the board, keep pace with the, the teams ahead of us in that fight for a top four place. And not only did we get a bad first half, which is something I think we've all come to expect uh, from Unai Emery's team at this point, and maybe that's a thing we might need to discuss, but we also got a bad second half as well. There wasn't that second half fight back or that turnaround in performance or, you know, whatever he said in the dressing room didn't work, whatever change he made at halftime didn't really work. So it really does feel like two points dropped, even if... I'm somewhat grateful for the one point that we got because I really think it could have been worse. Oh, it definitely could have been worse. It definitely could have been worse. I mean, you know, Wolves fans will feel gutted, I think, that they didn't come away from this game with a win. And I, I feel pretty fortunate that we came away from it with a point in the circumstances. I mean, I would say, and maybe you maybe you disagree, but I do feel that the second half was... A little bit better than the first. A little bit better, but that's kind of like saying... It's like me inviting you for dinner and serving you uh, a sandwich with a filling of shit. And then for the second course, I give you some slightly gone-off meat, which is cooked in a a nice sauce or something. I don't know. It's, it's, It's a low bar. That's all I'm saying. The bar was low. The bar was low. The bar was extremely low. And also there's always that thing where I was sat in the North Bank and they were attacking towards that end in the second half. So it always feels a bit more exciting that way round anyway. Um, maybe someone watching it on telly or on a stream would have a, a slightly different perspective. But look, it wasn't great fare in the second half. It wasn't one of those games where it was like we came out looking like a, a different team. Yeah. We, looked, we looked distressingly similar to the team in the first half. And... 
I mean, it's been interesting looking at sort of people's reactions to this game online. And to a certain extent, I guess this is fodder for the people who are suggesting, well, look, our very, very good run has slightly um, obscured some troubling numbers underneath, you know, that suggest that maybe we're not quite as good as as that run suggested. But I I wouldn't argue with that. I think that's almost certainly true. I don't think it's fodder. I think those are facts. Mm. I mean, I don't think you can look back at the run that we've been on and we've, we've said it over and over again on the podcast. It's great to have achieved those results and to have got those points on the board and to react the way we did in terms of, you know, losing our opening two games. But you can't go back and look at all those games and say we were brilliant in all of them, that we were defensively solid in, in hardly any of them. I think maybe the Fulham game was the only one in which we were quite defensively solid. And when you look at Fulham now... You know, you've got to take that into context as well a little bit. So I don't think it's fodder or an agenda to point out, yes, it's been great to be on a run, but throughout this run, we have had problems with our system, problems with our defending, problems with uh, uh, conceding chances to the opposition. You know, I wrote it this morning that maybe, you know, one of these days we're going to find it a struggle to get a goal and we'll have given the opposition a chance which they'll take and, you know all the, the chickens will come home to roost, if you like. And I, I, it was so close to being that today, wasn't it? Because the goal that we scored, there was a, a real element of good fortune to it. Uh, mm. And in terms of creating chances, we had that big one with Aubameyang, obviously, which was probably the best bit of football we played all day. Uh, but but we can come back to him missing that. But when you don't take those chances and when you do allow the opposition uh, plenty of opportunities to score, it's going to hurt you. And without without uh, Bernd Leno today, we would have lost that game. And without the crossbar in the final fucking 60 seconds or whatever it was, you know, we would have been uh, gone home completely with our tails between our legs. Absolutely, yeah. And, and Leno's contribution was... Massive. I mean, not only did he make a save after it went to 1-0 and Wolves were threatening on the break, he made one before the equaliser that was just as important. Uh, and, and they hit the bar as well, let's not forget, in that late period. So yeah. even once we'd got ourselves back into the game, we still looked very, very, very capable of, uh, of throwing it away again, throwing the point away. Um, and I suppose amidst all the frustration I feel tonight, there is definitely some relief, some relief that we that we got a point and that we do at least keep this run going. I know yeah. it's, you know, lost some of its sheen in the last couple of weeks with a few points dropped here and there, but I felt that in the way that we came back and got that late equaliser, I do think there is something to be said for momentum and I do think there is something to be said for having something to protect. And I do wonder if, you know, when you're just drifting and you're losing the odd game here and there, yeah. I think it's sort of, it's dangerous, but when you're at least like, well, we're on this roll, you know, we want to try and keep that going. I think it adds a little bit of motivation and incentive and probably in some capacity helped us pull through today, but it's definitely two points dropped, isn't it? Especially when you look at what the other teams are doing. Yeah, for sure. It was, yeah. It it feels like 
well, it doesn't feel like they're going to drop many points, does it, over the course of the season, some no. of these teams? I mean, our last win in the Premier League was October 22nd against Leicester. And again, Leicester was one of those games where, OK, we weren't great in the first half, but in the second half, we were absolutely fantastic. Mesut Ozil had that wonderful performance. Everybody's raving about Ozil. Everybody's raving about the team. It's clicking. And then we draw against Crystal Palace. We draw against Liverpool. We've drawn again today against Wolves. It's one win in five games now. Uh, we did beat Blackpool in the in the car. About Cup, even then we made life a little bit difficult for ourselves. So, yeah, look, it, it does feel a bit like okay, we've got this momentum. It is maybe um, slowing down a little bit, you might say. But um, okay, let, let's go through it. Any issues at all with the team selection? Were there any surprises in there for you today? Um, I have to say there weren't for me. That's pretty much the team I thought he was going to pick, assuming, you know, players were fit. The ones like Hector Bellerin over who there might have been a little bit of a doubt. That's the team I thought he would pick today. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I suppose the only kind of question mark would be over the, the right wing spot with uh, Alex Iwobi picked there today. You know, mm. uh, Eric Mkhitaryan had been getting a look in there and it, it feels a little bit like it's a bit of a toss up between those two at the moment in terms of who plays. So... But I, I personally had no objections to uh, the 11 he picked. In fact, I thought it looked really strong. You know, and I, and I was going into this game thinking Wolves haven't been on a brilliant run of late. They had a very bright start in the Premier League, but it faded slightly. And I felt we would have enough to, to kind of roll them over. Yeah, I thought we would too. I thought, uh, I didn't think it would be easy because, you know, no. I do, I have had these slight doubts about how we've been playing but I thought we would get more from an attacking point of view you know the the fact that we allow chances that we're defensively a bit suspect that uh, you know we're reliant on our keeper as we were on Petr Cech to an extent before he got injured and Leno took his place in the team I think we need to remember that Petr Cech uh, was um, was an important part of of that unbeaten run and some of those games that we won because of the, the saves that he made so this isn't a new thing being a little bit reliant on the goalkeeper but I have to say the front four were really disappointing um, mm. throughout the game. They they didn't yeah. have the kind of influence they should have, particularly Ozil, Lacazette and Aubameyang. I thought Iwobi, look, a few passes didn't work for him and he made the same wrong pass twice, didn't he, to Bellerin. He played it mm. across... Uh, he played it across the, the box and they intercepted it and that, that didn't look good but he was somebody who had a, at least a little bit of drive in that first half um, so okay first tell me what your thoughts are on that front four um, and then what, what did you make of the halftime change well I actually agree with you I, I think Iwobi was kind of sloppy in his execution particularly of his final ball, you know, his, his crucial pass in that first half. But I did feel that every time he had the ball, he was driving forward and he was positive. Um, the rest, I mean, were pretty anonymous. It was one of those where you were looking at Aubameyang on the left wing and thinking, this isn't really working at all. I mean, I remember in one instance him sort of coming deep into midfield to try and help the build-up play and just sort of almost tripping over his own feet, really, with the ball at his feet. He didn't look comfortable that said had he been playing as a number nine I'm not sure he would have seen any more of him because Lacazette wasn't getting any service mm. wasn't particularly involved um, and Mesut Ozil he, he was coming quite deep quite a lot of the time to try and uh, instigate things but there doesn't there wasn't a massively tangible consequence to that so from an attacking point of view 
it was a, a really, really disappointing first half, especially given that in Kolasinac and Bellerin, you know, we have fullbacks who are good at going forward. And that's been such an important part of the way we've played, trying to get those fullbacks in behind, trying to get them in on the overlap. And you didn't really see much of that at all. Um, so, yeah, it was, I mean, to be honest, it's very difficult to find anything particularly positive to say about that first half. The change itself, though, it did surprise me only in that it. it I wasn't surprised Genduzi came on, but I thought it would be for Shaka. To be honest with you, right? Why? I, because Shaka had committed the first half error, and I felt didn't have a particularly good first half. And I had seen you know Emery withdraw him at half time before mm. at Stamford Bridge, say, and I thought I could see the logic in Genduzi because he is someone who brings intensity and he ups the tempo a bit in the midfield. Um, but what was slightly curious about the change that was made was that Arsenal, it seemed to me, went to kind of a 4-3-1-2 with three central-ish midfielders. Genduzi was kind of playing on the left-hand side of that midfield three. And uh, I sort of felt like Iwobi probably could have done that job almost as well. You know, I felt there were other players in the team who maybe I would have withdrawn before. Yeah. Uh, mm. But I, look, I mean, the, clearly the the idea was to get Two up front, wasn't it? Yeah, it just it just struck me as a bit strange. Uh, we, we didn't seem to play with two up front, um, and when you're when you're a goal down at halftime at home, taking off an attacking player to put on what is essentially, I suppose, uh, not necessarily a defensive midfield player, but Genduzi seemed to spend most of his time on the left hand side because I think yeah. he'd identified the fact that a Kolasinac was, I don't know that I have the words to describe how bad he was. He was dreadful. Like, I know he's just back from injury and everything else, but the more I see him, the more I don't get what he is or what he's supposed to be doing, you know? No, he was was extraordinarily bad. And I I was watching it and thinking, perennially, we kind of make the excuse for him of saying, well, he's not a left-back, he's a wing-back. But then... I can't think of another wing-back who would struggle quite so much as a left-back. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, I cannot think of a single wing-back in world football who I would think would have such a difficult time. I mean, more often than not, players are perfectly capable of playing in both positions. I'm yeah. thinking of someone like Kieran Trippier at Spurs or but what he's, have he's you. Played a lot of fo- he played a lot of football for Schalke at left-back, so it's not like he's only a wing-back. Yeah. You know, he has played a lot as a, as a left-back. You know, I think the, the, there are issues with him in terms of his availability, how often he's injured, the the fact that he's coming back from injury time and time again, and that's unfortunate for him. And he did have a big injury, which he suffered in, in Dublin here uh, in, the, in the Chelsea game uh, in pre-season. But I just don't see it. I don't see what he's supposed to do for us defensively, because positionally he's all over the place. And... On the ball, which I suppose is his supposed strength, he was awful again. There was one, a, a crossfield ball from Jackie, he just completely let it run under his foot. He, his distribution, we spoke about it last season, didn't we, where you're looking at players with 85, 95% pass completion and uh, Kolasinac is down somewhere in the 70s. And he was there again today. He was down around 74, 75% with the ball. So he was bad. He didn't get much protection from Aubameyang, who looks like he does not want to be playing on the right-hand side. Uh, so I think that's what the Genduzi substitution was, was to try and shore up that left-hand side a bit. 
Well, Emery said in his post-match press conference... I haven't seen it yet, so... Ah, well, he said something like... um, and it's not always absolutely clear what he's what he's <laughs> saying simply because of the language. But he said something like, our plan was to try and keep our fullbacks a little bit further back in the se- second half and, have, and win the ball in those positions. So I think he actively thought, rather than having my fullbacks bomb on, I'm going to keep them slightly more conservative in the second half because I think he felt that, and correctly, I mean, it's true, we were being exposed a little bit in mm. those areas. Um Particularly down Kolasinac's flank, actually, you know, if you think... And Wolves' goal was an example of that. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, this was one of those performances where you looked at Kolasinac and thought, if given that we have a manager who clearly is a four-at-the-back guy, and, to be honest, the manager we had last season was a four-at-the-back guy too, for the most part, it is very, very difficult to see any kind of real future for him in, in the mid-term. Also. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then what did you make of the fact that we're still a goal down... We're not playing in any way. We didn't have that second half burst of wind or burst of form and fluency that has won us games in in the past. I know we just created that chance for um, for Aubameyang, uh, Bellerin's low cross from the right, uh, and Aubameyang missed. We'll come back to that. But you know, again, it was the seventy sixth minute, and we bring on Ramsey and Mkhitaryan. You know, and that only yeah. gives them 14, 15 minutes to get into the game. I mean, I think Mkhitaryan was hilarious. It was hilarious to see him score because he was so bad when he came on. He was like Kolasinac Mark II in a way, the way he was giving the ball away, he lost possession, he'd turn into trouble, you know. He was dreadful, and then he curls in a, a fairly fortunate goal, so, you know, credit to him for that. But, you know, even then... You're only giving these players 14 minutes to try and influence a game. Your team has been playing badly for 76 minutes. You know, I think whatever we might like to say about Emery and his substitutions changing the game, I think today he was slow to react to a team performance which was well below par. In some ways, maybe he was waiting for them to to click, as they have done in most games Mm. so far this season. But I think it was, I don't think it was his best day. Uh, when it came to making changes. No, and I think as well, you know, this is a week in which we we lost Danny Welbeck. And I, and I don't at all mean to say if Danny Welbeck was available, we would have got three points today. But I saw, you know, when he was injured, a lot of the time people were saying, well, he's, he's third choice. He's third choice at Arsenal. But if you've got Aubameyang and Lacazette on the pitch, he's not third choice. He's very much second choice. Um, and I have to be honest, when Mkhitaryan came off the bench, I didn't feel great about it and in fact it, it was there was a palpable um, among the crowd around me where I stood like when he was coming on there were a few shouts of sort of like you better turn up this time mate so and then be, you know in some ways he's very fortunate he got the goal because I could feel the crowd starting to slightly get on his back and it's very re- relatively early in his Arsenal career but I haven't sensed that with him before but that it was yeah. there tonight and I think it's because he's had a couple of disappointing performances in a row really where he's just not quite delivering against what we expect of him so yeah. he's a player whose confidence I think is is very much on the wane and is maybe a little bit fragile right now maybe so uh, that would be maybe a consequence of the performances as well you know he is yeah. he's the more I see him the more he reminds me of Theo Walcott in that he's he's capable wow. of producing moments which are excellent and of high quality but overall 
he drifts through games. I remember there's a, a Manchester United fan that I follow on Twitter. Uh, he writes for The Guardian and, and things like that called Daniel Harris, uh, who, who said pretty much that to me at, uh, at the time that we signed him. He is really... Uh, he is capable of fantastic stuff at times, but consistency is a problem and he always feels a bit lightweight. And I think that's true. I think we're we're seeing that a little bit with him now. And maybe it is just lack of confidence or loss of form, but I don't know. I don't know. Like you, when he came on, it was just like, oh, what's going to happen here? And then, look, he, <laughs> he got the goal. I mean, it was a cross and is one of those that, that fools everybody. Uh, we didn't get a header on the ball and a very timely and a very welcome goal. Let me point that out. Let's go back to their goal. Yes, I was going to say we've sort of uh, uh, skipped over it, but you could understand, you could forgive us maybe for trying you to. You could, talking about but um, have you any explanation as to what Granit Xhaka was doing, leaving the ball the way that he did? Mm, I mean, the, the only no. thing I can think of is he thought there was somebody there behind him. That's the only reason I can think of for him to do what he did, but that doesn't excuse it in any way either, because. You you do that and you make sure you're in fucking the center of midfield. If you don't know for sure that there's somebody there, you you don't do what he did. And then he got absolutely turned, didn't he, for the goal? He, he was slow to react. It was uh, it was a, a really poor piece of play from Xhaka. Yeah, I, I think that you know that compounded the initial error, the fact that he allowed the guy to run off him so easily on the goal. But it's it's maddening, isn't it? Because we were singing his praises against Liverpool and saying how excellent he was, how much more defensively secure he looked, especially with Torreira alongside him. But he does seem to be one of these players who has these moments in his locker, you know, who has these brain farts, basically, where he just, I don't know. It's, yeah. it's, 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 it's like he just forgets where he is or forgets what's going on or his concentration. Maybe it's because he's a player who's always thinking about what he's going to do with the ball. Maybe he's already thinking about the pass he's going to make or the run he's going to make. But he, he's not thinking securely. He's not thinking conservatively enough. And, yeah, I mean, it's really difficult to analyse because it's just an error. It's just a, a big individual error. Yeah, yeah, it is. It was a terrible, terrible decision. I mean, really just fucking terrible. Um, and it costs a goal, you know. And and it, it, yeah, exactly. And, look, you know, it's it's quite not terribly intelligent or, or groundbreaking to say that goals change games but you know when when you're a team that doesn't perform in the first half very very rarely does this team turn up with anything approaching a a good performance sometimes it can be acceptable or you know average in the first half but it's never anything better than that so when you start games slowly and when you you have this habit of playing first halves the way we play first halves the very least you can do is not make massive uncalled for unforced errors, which is what that was. To be fair to Wolves, they 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 moved it very well. They took the chance very well. Uh, you know, I don't think Xhaka defended it particularly well either. Uh, but you just can't give goals like that away. No, you can't. You can't. And it, it's something that we keep kind of thinking he's erasing from his game. We keep kind of hoping he's, he's gone and then uh, it rears its head again. And really, really disappointing at a time where, 
you know, I think a lot of people have been very full of praise for him and he seemed to be on a, a really good run. Mm. I think that's the problem with with things like that. It's not really about form, is it? It's it's not really about... Uh, it, it seems to be quite integral to him. It doesn't feel like something that's ever going to fully disappear. Um, and that's kind of, you know, the risk that you take with a player like Shaka. Yeah, I guess, I guess. But, uh, you know, it's one of those... He's one of those players. Emery obviously trusts him. He kept him on the pitch. Uh, yeah, he started every Premier League game. Yeah. I mean, he clearly is really highly valued by Emery. And in terms of what he does on the ball, for the most part, you can understand that. You know, his passing numbers are always consistently good. Mm. But uh, these moments can prove hugely costly. And, and Wolves, in fairness to them, I mean, look, I know we sort of gifted them the goal from a defensive point of view, but they had started brightly. You know, they came into the game with energy and there was a bit of threat in behind early on so when they took the lead I kind of had to sit back and say well we kind of deserved it and sooner or later if you have enough passive disappointing first halves it is going to cost you yeah but you know Wolves came into this game on the back of three defeats as well so they weren't coming into this game in good form no you know what 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 can we make of this inability to perform in the first half like uh, you know, at what point does it start to become a trademark of Unai Emery's management? Like, how culpable is he for this? Because if people want to give him credit for turning games around in the second half, for making changes which alter the dynamic of the game or the flow of the game, surely he then has to be responsible for the way that this team cannot get out of the blocks in any significant way, and this is an issue that isn't just every now and again, it's every week. So mm. at what point do we start, I don't don't mean like take him out and flog him, but at what point do we start to say, listen, Mr. Emery, this is, this is a problem, this is your problem, and so far you don't seem to be able to fix it. Again, with the caveat that it's still very early, but after whatever we played, nearly 20 games this season, 18 games I think we played, because we were 16 unbeaten and we've, we lost the first two. So after 18 games, still a relatively small sample size, but it's enough to say this is definitely something that's part and parcel of the way he is setting his teams up or preparing his teams for games. Yeah, I, I, to be fair, I don't think I've seen a sort of convincing analysis yet of quite why Arsenal is so bad in the first half. I mean, one possible conclusion is that we are, maybe for the first time in a while, a more physically impressive team than technically. You know, maybe we're not playing particularly well, but kind of grinding things teams down by virtue of the fact that we're now a fitter side than we have been in the past. Um, another alternative theory would be simply that Emery doesn't know enough yet about not only his team but the other teams in this league I mean if you have to rip up the plan rip up the blueprint at half time and switch the system switch the players that basically suggests your preparation was either wrong or insufficient well where, where's um, all his videos what's he doing uh, uh, at night he needs <laughs> is he not sitting there watching fucking videos of every team you know in super slow motion to figure out what's the best way to play against them you know is that not what, what he's about? Or am I am I getting that wrong? Was that just no, you know, perhaps I, I, some PR spin? Who knows? Yeah, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> I mean, no, I think probably he is about that, but I think that he... 
I think you could watch as many play, uh, videos of Wolves as you like, but I think I think there are still questions over his own team. And I do think as well we are starting to suffer from a, the contortion of talent to fit the system. You know, I, I do feel like ultimately we probably have one or two players playing out of position and it hurts. It hurts us. You know, ultimately, if you have a Wobi on the right, a Bamiang on the left, you can get away with it. But it's not natural for either player. Yeah, it doesn't it's not conducive to to them playing as well as they can and the team playing as well as it, it can or as you would want the team to play. No, and I mean think back to uh the Fulham game, which was probably our most impressive performance of the season. And, you know, it was a very basic setup, a very basic system, really. It was essentially a 4-4-2. But all those players were in the correct roles. You know, you had Mkhitaryan playing as a right midfielder, Wobi playing as a left midfielder, Welbeck and Lacazette playing as a strike partnership, which frankly seems to suit both of them better than playing alone. So I, I do think that we might be well served by maybe going back to basics is putting it a bit strongly, but just trying to get players into the the right positions on the field because it feels like it feels like we're trying to bend what we have available to make things work and you know that eventually that's gonna break. Yeah. So what is what are we talking about here? You're talking about Obama Yang on the left. So you're saying don't play Obama Yang on the left. I'm saying that I I would like to see an alternative. Okay, like okay, okay. See. No, no, I get it, I get it. But what is the alternative? Is it to play two up front? Is it to say, if we are playing one up front, it's got to be one of Lacazette or Aubameyang? Is well, I, it, I, you know, what is So it? I would like to see two up top. I would like to see the system we played against Fulham with Lacazette playing as the slightly d- deeper striker, almost the, the half, the 10, and Aubameyang playing up top. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, I know the comeback to that straight away is how does Mesut Ozil fit into that system? And for me, maybe he doesn't every single week because, you know, maybe there are home games where you can squeeze him in here and there, but I, I don't necessarily think he's got to be in that starting eleven. Okay, so let's let's say you do that. Let's say you mm. do that. Who are who are you playing in the wide positions? I am assuming you're playing a Wobi on the left. Yeah, I'd play a Wobi on the left. I'd play Shaka and Torreira in central midfield, and on the right. See, this is where you come back to the Mkhitaryan. Well, I, I think you, I think you maybe are playing. You might be playing Mesut Ozil there or Henrik Mkhitaryan. Right. I mean, we. But then look, that doesn't necessarily. Solve all your problems either. Yeah, is that what not I was going to say to you? Go was, on. Yeah, go on. No, I was just going to say with Welbeck out, I do wonder if Emery might be tempted to revert to playing with just one of Aubameyang and Lacazette because essentially the only striker we have available to come off the bench is Eddie Nketiah. And yeah. As highly rated as he is, he's not someone with a Premier League goal to his name. So I, I do wonder if he might look at the balance of the starting eleven and think. Well, it, it serves me quite well to rotate these guys rather than playing them both every single week without yeah. an obvious alternative. Mm. So I, I think we might see that happen. But then, I mean, it is a pro- it is a problem. Like, it is a problem because basically the strategy of the club over the past year has been so chaotic. You know, what happened in January uh, in terms of letting Alexis go and Aubameyang coming in and Mkhitaryan coming in, that was the best of a bad situation. But it's not how you would have planned it. You know, it's not how you would have... 
No. And especially, it's not how you would have intended it to play out. No. Um, and I think we are still, to an extent, trying to make sense of what we were left with there. And I think what's happened with Mesut Ozil and his contract and Aaron Ramsey with his contract, you know, this is, this is not a team that's been built with a plan. It's a bit of a jumble that has been cobbled together at really short notice by different people as well by two managers, one chief executive, one head of football, one head of recruitment. You know, it's a, it's a bit of a camel, I would say. <laughs> a camel? What, what does that mean? Well, just in that, like, you know, they say a camel is a, a horse designed by committee. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean in that it's got, you know, like... Yeah, 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 I was just... Two humps, or it, it retains water very well. Sure, But, sure. like, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I do feel like that that we have a very talented squad but it's not one that you would yeah it's not balanced on paper it's yeah. not balanced that's for sure that is for sure so look yeah i mean and i can understand the difficulty he has with trying to pick a balanced team trying to get his best players into the starting 11 it might just be a case that he has to say balance is more important than the individual quality of the players at some point, he might have to make that decision. And that's going to be a tough decision because he's either going to have to leave out Lacazette or he's going to have to leave out Aubameyang or he's going to have to leave out Mesut Ozil. You know, and all of those decisions um, that we say, OK, make those decisions. Be ruthless from a football point of view. We can't ignore that making those decisions has consequences for Unai Emery beyond picking a team for a game because these are players with... Um, egos with desire to play they all want to play you know it can change the dynamic on the training pitch it can you know if players get frustrated if they get stroppy all of those things come into play and of course it's his job to manage them but he has to think about those as well before before he does make those changes um let's talk about the obama yang miss yeah i was astonished how, at that, how? I to say how on I earth did I don't a player know. Well, uh, of his quality miss from there and it's one of those where like it hits the post and typically when a player hits the post you're like oh unlucky but in this instance i don't think he gets any grace for hitting the post i mean it's it it is such a good opportunity to score it's a little bit reminiscent isn't it of his misses against chelsea earlier in the season where you just would have put your house on him if you could pick yeah. an arsenal player in that situation it might well be him um yeah, I'm, I'm sure he'll be thinking the same. How did that possibly not go in? And that was one of the few moments in the game where things did sort of come together from an attacking point of view. What I'm uh, just going to go back to the live blog here and just find out what minute it was that we missed that chance. Yeah, that would be interesting to know because it would have really changed. 73rd things, minute. Right. 73rd minute. So you score at 1-1 in the 73rd minute and that changes the momentum of a game I sure. think it really does because all of a sudden you know we were dominating possession there was no real issue with how much of the ball we had it was what we did with the ball but I do think when you score at that point in a game it gets the crowd up it gets the team up and you've got 20 minutes then to to find another goal um, I think Wolves were quite cynical and they did a fair bit of time wasting but I, I don't necessarily blame them for that uh, I think I would want us to do the same if we were in a, in, a, in a similar situation so that's something we have to we have to contend with um so yeah i mean a really really bad miss um 
I don't, I don't know what else to say about it other than I just literally couldn't believe that he had missed from there of all the people in this squad. No. I, I, you know, he's probably who you would choose in that situation, either him or Lacazette. And uh, it was an astonishing miss. I mean, I think people who who know Aubameyang uh, from, from his time in Germany, I, I've heard people say in the past, you know, he does he does miss the odd chance, but because of his movement and his speed, he's someone who typically gets several chances in a game. You know, he can be... Yeah. He's someone who... His XG numbers, for example, are excellent because of the positions that he finds, but he... In this game, with such, such limited service, I mean, that was a golden opportunity to change the dynamic of the match, and we didn't take it. And mm. at that point, I'll be honest, I was thinking... In fact, I think that was the point in the game where I started shifting the sort of bargaining you do with yourself during the match. You know, at half-time, you're still thinking... <laughs> yeah, we can do this. This is winnable. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think up until about 70 minutes, you're like, well, a goal now, a goal now, and, you know, you could push on. But I think once that hit the post, uh, rather than going in, I thought, right, if we can get a point here, I'll definitely take it. I mean, look, it, it, I, the whole match, I was thinking, at some point here, Wolves are going to bring on... Adama Traore and I, I knew he would give us problems on the break because we've seen him do it to us before yeah. and uh, he's a handful he's a real real handful very quick very skillful and they had that weapon and they just put him through the middle essentially and said see what you can do and I mean we were pretty fortunate not to concede more goals and I think we yeah. also owe a significant debt to, to Bernd Leno yeah I mean I think if there are some positives today there's three I can think of off the top of my head one is Bernd Leno, who was who was excellent. I think Lucas Torreira was really good again as well. I also think Hector Bellerin was really good. Uh, mm. I know he probably should have done better with one or two. Well, certainly the, the chance that Xhaka created for him, I think he should have done better. In mitigation, it was on his left foot. Um, so not always easy to control with your weaker foot. But not long after they brought uh, Traore on, we had a corner corner delivery was you know not great today Wolves dealt with the the set pieces pretty well they're on the break they're moving they're heading out of their own area and heading towards our half and Hector Bellerin just basically uh, hung on to Traore so he couldn't get away from him beautifully cynical yellow card which he prevented ran away from the referee he did so as well, yeah, he as well. He sprinted into the fog referee was whistling like come back here come back here young man I'm well give you a yellow the, the, they're old friends, Traore and Bellerin, I think, you know, back from their days in the, in the Barcelona Academy. Um, and Bellerin, you know, probably just knows what he's capable of. And it was absolutely the right thing to do in the circumstances. I mean, you touched on something there, the corners, by the way. We had 11 corners today and we didn't really pose much of a threat from any of them. So that was disappointing. You know, it, it, on a day where you don't have the fluency, set pieces can be a, a really vital tool. But we, we just didn't have the, the delivery today. Yeah. And look... It was always going to happen, I think, that we hit a bit of a, a bit of a wall or, or had a bit of a blip in our season. And mm. I think we're going through one at the moment when you look at the, the recent performances and the recent results. You know, uh, the 2-2 with Crystal Palace. Those, were, those felt like points dropped, didn't they? They really did. Disappointing nil-nil with Sporting on Thursday. I know that there were other elements to that game as well. Liverpool was positive but I think in some ways that game not that it was like a cup final 
but I think you kind of have to view it in slight isolation from everything else because of the, the, the quality of the opponents, because of the build-up, because of how important it was. You know, a big game, you get yourself up for big opponents. So we haven't been great in the last two or three weeks. And now we have an interlull. And Unai Emery has got two weeks to really think about what he's going to do and how he's going to set up his team going forward. Because we come back and we've got Bournemouth away. Who've been going well this yeah, season. They're not bad. Then we've got that absolute bitch of a trip to, to Ukraine. The flight and the, you know, three hours by coach or whatever it might be. So there's a lot of travel in that. And then it's Tottenham at home. Then it's Manchester United away. You know, so... December is going to be really tricky anyway, simply because of the amount of games that we've got to play. And that's not something Emery has had to contend with before. So I'm not like, I'm disappointed about today. I'm not hugely down by it because I'm not, A, I'm not hugely surprised by it based on what we've seen from the team so far this season. And it was always going to be natural that we had a little bit of a downturn in in results um, because form itself has been relatively consistent but results we're always going to drop a few points here and there what I'm interested in is how we how we react now and what way what way he spends his time during these two weeks because I, I, I I'd like to think that he's going to go away and have a good long think about okay we've played 18 games this is working this is not working I need to do something about this how do I do it and if we go into our next game and play the same formation with the same players, with the same square pegs, round holes, or what have you, I think that would be, A, disappointing, and B, a little bit worrying. Yes, I would agree. I mean, a dip in results and performances in November, who could ever have anticipated <laughs> that? But I, uh, I, I think you make a really good point, which is that we... The Liverpool game did feel like a cup final, and to some extent, what's followed this week with Sporting and Wolves has been uh, sort of anticlimactic, hasn't it? There's, it's almost yeah. like the air slightly went out of everything after that Liverpool game. It was such a clear target on the horizon for us and we were on that remarkable run of wins. And now it's sort of, it's just kind of taken the, the wind out of our sails. And I, I really hope that we can come back reinvigorated because it's a really crucial period. I mean, you know, Spurs and United within a few days of each other will be a mm. defining period yeah. through Niamh. I mean that that um, at that, a really critical point of the season. Yeah, that could well be a period in which we completely consolidate our place as a team that is challenging for the top 4 or mm. we fall quite far behind at a point in the season where that points go. I mean, what is it at the moment? Let me just have a look. It's 3 points to Spurs. Ah, okay, that's not too bad. That's not too bad, but okay. I mean, but you know, Bournemouth, Bournemouth are in sixth. Sixth, yeah. So they have been going really well. So, you know, we come back and we play uh, the team that's sixth, the team that's fourth, you know, the teams either side of us in the league and Man United away. So yeah. it, it's a really huge run of games. Um, certainly the closest thing to the start we had the season with City and Chelsea that we'll have had for some time. And I think it will be in, important. I mean, they're essentially six pointers. You know, Spurs are probably the team we're looking to oust from the top four. Yeah. It's certainly the one I'd like to oust. So those points will be absolutely precious if we can get them. Mm. Okay. Anything else uh, that that's uh, on your mind from today's game that you would like to, to chat about before we go into the break? I'm just having a think, really. Uh, not particularly. I mean... <laughs> yeah, I think we've covered s- it. I 
think we've covered it. I think we've gone through it. I mean, only to say that as it, it was a really bad performance, and I don't think we're pulling any punches there. We are calling it what it was, and I think the fact that it came off the back of a, a very underwhelming game against Sporting too made it all the more kind of disappointing. You know, you could you could accept that and just say, well, it's your Open League group stage, yeah, whatever. Bring on Sunday. It's all about Sunday. But then f- to turn up with that kind of performance today, I think really was like another blow. But I do still have some consolation in that we we're still better off, I think, than I thought we would be at this point. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't look to win every game on its own merits, but when I look at what the team has done between the start of the season and, and now, I still think there are mar- there are marginally more positives than negatives. Okay. At this point. Okay. All right. I think that's a good uh, a good moment to go into the break. We'll come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter and on Facebook. It's at Gunnarblog and at Arsblog and also the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. Graham Roberts. Did he play for Tottenham? Mm-hmm. Was there a Graham Roberts that played for Tottenham? Or I'm thinking of Graham Stewart. Hang on. There's got to be a Graham Roberts that played for Tottenham, I think. Yes. He was a terrible prick. Anyway, this is not that Graham Roberts, I'm pretty sure. He is at Stebor Maharg, whatever that is. Oh, it's Graham Roberts backwards. Ah, I see. Well done. Uh, maybe Very he's... Good. Yeah, anyway. You got he, that fast. You're like Dr. Sherlock or something. Yes. My my linguistic whatever is <laughs> kicked in. But he says, uh, whose turn is it to ask the first question? Ooh, I don't know. I'll say, <laughs> in typical fashion. Um, I'll go first, shall I? Yeah, why not? Although I have just actually gone first by asking that question. Very clever, very clever. Well, tempted though I am to go with Kalinga Nwum's question on the Facebook, what's our best formation and starting 11? <laughs> um, <laughs> let's, let's mix it up. Um, Rob J, who's at Astoria Guna, says... 
Who has the more frustrating fuck-ups that lead to goals? Mustafi or Shaka? Um, now, hang on. I think I put the emphasis in that question wrong. Because it's not who has the most frustrating fuck-ups that lead to goals. It's who has the more frustrating. So, so which one? Which one? So you, if one of them... Which one frustrates you more? Which one? Uh, as a defender, it's Mustafi. But... I think Xhaka is perhaps cursed in some way. Well, he now has made five errors leading to goals since his Premier League debut in August 2016. That seems quite a lot. Well, no other outfield player in the competition has made more in that time. Right, so he's top of the pops. He really is, He's top of the pops. Errors leading to goals go, he's number one. The brand new album from Granite Xhaka. How to fuck up... <laughs> yeah, um, I, I think in some ways it's Mustafi because he's a defender and he's like the last line of defence. But... I would say... I would say... Go, well, you finish and then I'll say what I think. But, like, with Xhaka, there's just... As well as he plays some days. You know, there's a lot to like about Xhaka in terms of what he can do with a football. It's just that he seems to need some kind of a force field around him to A, not let anybody anywhere near him. Mm. And, you know, in a video game, sometimes you can press a button and just redo that bit again. He needs that. He needs, like, the football equivalent of a mulligan. In every game, you know, for people yeah, who play he, golf, he that's, you know, you can take take a shot again without counting. Yeah. The, 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 so you make the mistake, it's like, oh, hang on, stop, no, let's, everyone stop, come back, just give me the ball back, I know what I'll do with it this time, you know. And, and to his credit, maybe, I don't know if it's to his credit or not, I think it is. When he makes these terrible, awful, inexplicable fuck-ups, he doesn't, go into a shell at least you know he keeps mm. his head up and he keeps trying to play and he looks for the ball and he tries to do things with it and he does do things with the ball so I guess it would be Xhaka more than Mustafi because Mustafi's mistakes don't necessarily lead to goals in the same way they just make me want to I don't know what they make me want to do I'm thinking terrible things here like you know like I'd like to, I'd like to lift him up over my head, mm. you know, in a room where, let's say, in New Orleans, where they have those really old style ceiling fans that go around, <laughs> and Mustafi makes me just want to pick him up by the feet and throw him into one of those. Sure, but Xhaka, on the other hand, I don't know what kind of. Uh, industrial, yeah, implement I'd like to cast him into. I'm thinking now, right, of the wood chip scene in Fargo. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that's more forgiving than the fan. It's quicker. Right. I'd say it's quicker. Well, depending which way you insert him into it. Head first, it's over immediately. Feet first. Feet first, that's, awesome. yeah, that's, you'd save that, that for John Terry. You'd save that for John Terry or somebody, Good you know? Good point. So, I think, 
Yeah. I think I find Shaka's mistakes more frustrating because Mustafi, I've sort of given up on. Like, I'm not labouring under the impression that Mustafi is, <laughs> is good. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, he's done it again. That's what he does. Shaka, he sort of teases me with nearly being really good. And then, you know, the bubble bursts when he just commits some catastrophic mm. error. So I'd, I'd say of the two, he frustrates me more because I feel like there is a good player there but one, you know, perennially mm. sabotaged. Well, self-sabotaged. Whereas Mustafi, it's like, you know, Mustafi, Mustafi going to Mustafi. That's the, that's the way it is. Yeah, but Xhaka's going to Xhaka, you know? Yeah. Xhaka is going to Xhaka, and the stats prove it. Nobody Xhaka's more than Xhaka. That is true. He, uh, no player has Xhaka'd more than Xhaka since August 2016. Exactly. So... If the second in the table is Mustafi, probably, <laughs> for Shackers. <laughs> How many Shackers has Mustafi, uh, has Mustafi made this season? I don't know. Exactly. I do know what you mean. Uh, you know, I, I think one of the things which is uh, a real, you know, we can talk about a player's technical quality and, and everything else, but what makes a really good player is consistency. And we have players who are capable of fantastic stuff, but not enough consistency. You know, you knew week in, week out what you were going to get from Thierry Henry, from Dennis Bergkamp, from Patrick Vieira, from Robert Perez, Freddie Young. You know, I don't mean to hark back to those days, but, and I'm not saying they didn't have their off days, but there was a measure of consistency to their performances, which we haven't enjoyed with many players over the last number of years. So uh, I, I think that's just what it is. We, we have to accept that these are players who are, you know, decent enough players. Um, but I want to, maybe I want to withdraw that now that I think about it. Can you be considered a decent player if you lack consistency and make mistakes with great frequency? I'm not sure that you can, but you know what I'm trying to say, that they just can't, they can't like Mustafi last year in the North London Derby. Fucking hell, that was great. But true, but that's one game. They'll, that's know. what that's my that's what I'm saying. That's my yeah. whole point. You know, so uh, until we can find or attract or be in a position to attract players who can produce consistency, this is going to be part of our lives. We're all going to wake up every day wondering if Mustafi's going to Mustaf and if Xhaka's going to Xhaka. And the reality is, yes, they are. They're going to. That's what they do. That's, that's, <laughs> that's who they are. That's who they are. You know? Um, it's my question. It's your question. It's my question. I've got two, two questions here. Uh, okay. First one. They're about Danny Welbeck. First one from Kevin Dineen, who's at Gunnar Dineen. And uh, with confirmation of Welbeck's broken ankle, uh, and that was confirmed by Unai Emery at his press conference after the Wolves game, that he has broken his ankle and has had surgery. Uh, do we stay in-house and give Enkedia or Nelson a recall from loan, or do we dip into the transfer market? And on Facebook, Richard Woodcock says Welbeck, give him a new contract or not? Well, I probably would have given Danny Welbeck a new contract some time ago. Um, okay, that's a different question. That's not the, you know, now. We're talking about now. I would probably be less inclined to now. I mean, ultimately, I think if, if the management of the club 
have made the decision that they don't wish to offer Danny Welbeck a new contract, yeah, then him snapping his ankle does not seem like a good reason to completely reverse that decision. Absolutely. I, you know, I wrote about that at the weekend and got a lot of stick from people on Twitter who thought I was being a heartless bastard for saying exactly that. And it wasn't in any way heartless. It was just that very point that if Arsenal, to this point, were not con- uh, going to give Welbeck a contract while he was fit and scoring goals and in you know reasonably decent form, you'd have to say... Uh, you know, over the course of his Arsenal career, he's had a he's had a decent spell in the last couple of months. If that wasn't enough for them uh, to give him a new contract, why would they do it when he's got a terrible injury? And, you know, those two things have got to be taken separately. I feel really sorry for Danny Welbeck. And he's a popular guy and a guy I like and a player I, I like. And like you, I think probably... I would have given him a new contract, even if it was to protect the value of the player that we might sell him down the line a little bit. I think I, I think I would have done that. The, the, the other part of that is, does Danny Welbeck or want to sign a new contract with Arsenal? Does he want to be third choice or second choice or playing occasional games as a striker and coming on as a sub on the wing or whatever? Is that what he wants? People have forgotten that part because it's down to the player as to whether or not he wants to sign a new contract. Arsenal can offer him one. He might turn it down because, you know, uh, he's going to be 28 this month and he's looking at the last three or four years of his career. Does he want to be a bit part player at Arsenal or would he like to go somewhere and play week in, week out and be one of their most, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, counted on players? What's What's a better way of saying that? That's well, key players, I guess. Yeah, a key or, player, or, or, or yeah, yeah, somebody uh, really bad English. Someone who's an automatic pick, basically. I mean, I I always get the impression with Danny that he is quite happy playing that kind of squad role. It's a guess, but given that he sort of did the same thing for Manchester United and has done it with Arsenal, and the other thing I would say is that at, at Arsenal, because for now we're still playing European football, we generally do all right in the domestic cups. It's not like he doesn't get any games. You know, he probably still plays 30-odd games in some capacity over the course of the campaign. So I think he probably would have liked to stay. Well, um, but, I'm not but sure. maybe not. I'm not sure. Do you think no? I think he, I think he, he was happy enough to, to play his final season at Arsenal. And then I think he would have been happy... I mean, again, it's just me guessing, speculating here, but I, I don't feel like he would have been unhappy to get to the end of his deal at Arsenal and sign uh, a Bosman contract somewhere where he could be a key player, play week in, week out, be their first choice striker, perhaps, and just play regular football every week. You know, he's been mm-hmm. at Manchester United. He's been at Arsenal. You know, he did OK at United. He's done OK at Arsenal. And you have to caveat that, of course, with the fact that he's had injuries and he's been really unfortunate. And I feel very, very sorry for him, not only for the new injury that he suffered, but for the two injuries that he suffered before that, because they came at times where, uh, you know, he would have been very, very useful in this team. And they've, you know, taken a good chunk of his career away from him. And he's going to be spending, what, now another four or five months, maybe six months, who knows, on the sidelines. It's awful, you know, to see a a guy go through that. So I think he would have wanted to maximise his playing time and also his importance to the club that he was at. That's just my thinking on it. And the risk you run, of course, when you're, you're going towards a Bosman is that an injury could, could have a, a significant effect on that. I think he's look, 
if, if if in any way he could be lucky, it's the fact that this injury has happened in November. And he's got Arsenal as a football club with the resources, the medical, the yeah. physio and everything else to get him back fully fit for next summer where he will be 100% fit and he'll have his choice of clubs to go. Whereas if, it, if this had happened to him in the final game of the season or in April, all of a sudden he's got a broken ankle and he's, he's got no contract. He's got no club. You know, uh, that would have been much worse for him. So... It's it's not to say that the injury is uh, uh, anything other than terrible, but if there was a time to pick up that kind of an injury when you're in the final year of your contract, it's now and not right towards the end because then you are left right in the lurch. Yes, that's true. Well, I I I think I agree with you. I disagree with you about whether or not he would have been happy to stay. My my guess would be that he would, but I agree with you that given that they had chosen to not renew his deal. I can't see a logic to do so now. What about the question of how should they deal with his loss? You know, if the plan was to let mm. Welbeck go in the summer, presumably the plan would have been to replace him in some fashion, be that with an internal promotion or, or a signing. And you do wonder if, given what's happened, that might be moved forward. You know, is it possible that that is something that could be dealt with in January now? Yeah. I... It's really difficult to know. I mean, at some point, you've got to give Eddie and Ketio a chance, haven't you? And see if he sinks or swims. Uh, maybe that will come in, in these but, remaining Europa League games. Yeah, but I mean, look, I can see Eddie and Ketio getting a couple of starts in, in the Europa League. But let's be realistic about Eddie and Ketio. He's not a direct replacement for Danny Welbeck in this squad because of Welbeck's versatility. And Ketio is a striker. Mm. Uh, and I don't think uh, I've ever seen him played anywhere other than striker for the under-23s or the youth teams or whatever it was. Whereas Welbeck, you know, he, he plays on the left, he can play on the right, he can play up front. He came on against Crystal Palace to play as the number 10, you know. So he's someone who can play across the front three, front four, whereas Nketiah is very much a striker and that's his position, right? So... I think the he's replacement. Done it, he's done it a little bit, but not, in no great. In no, it's mainly been for the first team, to be honest. When he's been thrown on late in yeah. games, he's sometimes had a start position on the flank. The other thing is that he doesn't. Uh, he's very quick at Kessie, but he doesn't. Re, he doesn't replace the physical dimension that Welbeck brings, or the yeah. tactical dimension that he brings. You know, in terms of his positional play, his ability to work back. Uh, you know, I don't think Eddie and Ketia is that sort of player. I mean, Danny Welbeck is actually a very difficult player to replace because he, he does so many jobs relatively well. Mm. Um, mm. So I do feel like it leaves us light up front because, as I said, I think most people starting 11s have both Aubameyang and Lacazette in and that makes your first striker off the bench, Eddie Nketiah, and your first striker off the bench is a pretty important role. And Welbeck shone in it, Olivier Giroud shone in it down the years. You know, it, it can make a huge difference. So I know that Raul Sanier said, look, he's not a big fan of the January market, but I do wonder if that is something they might have to, to look at. Because I think even Reese Nelson is kind of a, a different sort of player. He is a different player, but he would perhaps give us a, a, a natural option in one of the wide areas. True. So, so maybe that's something that, that they're thinking. I did ask the club... Um, whether or not it's possible to uh, recall Reese Nelson from his loan with Hoffenheim, and I haven't yet received a reply, which m 
leads me to think they don't want that information out there or maybe it's just no and they don't want people going crazy or something. I don't know. Um, Let's just call Hoffenheim. That, yeah, that'll tell us. That's good. Do you know any German? I don't. <laughs> Absolutely none. Nine and nine Luftballoon. That's all I ah, know. Ah, nine and f- release clause. Uh, call back, recall clause. <laughs> Prince Charleston Booths. <laughs> that's offensive, isn't it? Sorry to all our German, German listeners. Yeah. I don't speak a word of it. I don't either. Um, ich habe nicht einige Schwestern. Oh, you're fluent, it turns out. I am fluent, yeah. So listen, I, 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 would, I would say if there is a player who they'd identified to be that Welbeck replacement and it is an external player, it's definitely worth having a go in January because even if he gets back for the end of the season, if he's, if he's on the way out, he's on the way out. Yeah, you know? he has left a gap in the squad. There's absolutely no question that he has left a significant gap in the squad. This He has, sorry. The injury which sidelines him has, has left a, a real gap in this squad. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're going to have to have a series think about it. January's only, what, six weeks away now, so we'll wait and see. Maybe Eddie and Keddie can take his chance. I don't know that there's anybody else bubbling under, is there? I mean, obviously, Emil Smith-Rowe might well be somebody who could play in those areas. Yeah. Maybe. The, the, maybe. I mean, the, I sort of made this point a minute ago, but that is the really useful thing about Danny Welbeck is that you can put him on the bench as your substitute centre-forward, but he's also your substitute left-winger and your substitute right-winger. You know, he's a yeah. Swiss army knife of a striker, really, and all these players we're talking about, yes, maybe they could shine in one of those roles, but not several of them, and, and it's always a gamble with young players. I, I do think there might be room for a, a more senior player, but... Mm. But then, you you know, look at Reese Nelson, look at what he's doing. Are you in danger of blocking his pass to the first team? It's a really difficult one. And unfortunately, I don't think Nketiah has had enough minutes at this point to sort of make a call on whether he can step up, even as that centre-forward. Yeah. I think I would like, if, if there was the option to recall Reese Nelson in January, mm. I think I'd rather do that than buy a January player. I know what you mean by a January player. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So. Yes. A, a sort of, you know, not quite right fit. You know, another signing that might prove difficult to... to yeah. To keep around. I'll tell you what, this question's from Darren, who's at Southwest AFC. And Darren says, uh, how many of the current team make Emery's end goal 11? So projecting forward a bit, when Emery thinks about the team he's looking to build, how many of the current team do you think would would be in that? Well, what's the current team, though? The current squad? Yeah, difficult. I mean, I suppose... It, well, let's take today's team with... Uh, okay. Yeah, let's take today's team. That's the smart. That's the best way we can do Leno, it. Leno, yes. Bellerin, mm-hmm. yes. I want to say Mustafi, no, because I don't want to see any more Mustafi, but... You know, Mustafi seems to play every week. Maybe it's yeah, escaped I, Emery's notice that he is basically the one constant in the centre of a defence that cannot <laughs> defend. I wonder, has it? I mean, I know we've had the injury to Socrates, but I'd like to see Socrates and Holding get a go. Um, and I don't want to turn this into just... You know, we've already discussed Mustafi because Mustafi's going to Mustafi. Of course, of course. Holding, yes. Kolasinac. Yeah, I would like to. I, and I actually think Holding, by the way, we yeah. touched some positives from the game... I thought Holding was okay today. I thought he was he was decent enough. 
Uh, yeah. I thought he was one of the players who came out of it with a little bit of credit. He had a couple of moments where he, you know, there was one where he got turned by Traore, but I don't know that that's necessarily uh, his fault. There was one moment as well where he let the ball bounce and he shouldn't have let the ball bounce, but dealt with it then uh, pretty well. So I think Holding has got the potential. Kalasinac, absolutely not. Torreira, obviously, yes. Xhaka, I'm going to say yes because he plays him a lot. Mm. I'm going to say yes as well. Ozil, no. I think no. I think if there's a way... It's a difficult situation because he's the key player. You know what else is an interesting little thing to consider as as we prepare to enter the new era of the bruised banana and Adidas making our kits... Mm. Mesut Ozil being one of the big Adidas brand ambassadors. Mm. I wonder if that might play into the club's thinking on this because they have to be, you know, I know you should make decisions for the right reasons, but often with football, decisions are made for for other reasons. But I'm not sure that he he considers Ozil key to the way that he wants to play. Um, no, I don't think so either. And it does feel a little bit like a marriage of convenience at yeah. times. So. Marriage of inconvenience, James. Well, yes, yes. Um, Who else have we got? Uh, Lacazette, so yes. He likes Lacazette. Obama Yang, I'm going to say no. Wow. I'm going to okay. say no because, like, I think if you're absolutely convinced by the, the quality of Pierre-Emerick Obama Yang, you play him in his best position, which is as a striker, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Think of his goal-scoring record at Dortmund. It was amazing. But yeah. I, I just have a feeling that he doesn't necessarily view him as... Not that he wouldn't be integral, but maybe the kind of player who won't do what he wants a player in that position to do. He's not his dream centre-forward, yeah. basically. Yeah. So I'm going to say no on Aubameyang. I'm going to say yes on Iwobi because he's young enough and he's got potential and he will, even though he has been hauled off at halftime today, uh, again, on the right-hand side, I think Iwobi has, has a bit of an issue where he can't really get into the game as much as he does on the left-hand side. Yeah. Um... And Mkhitaryan, no. Like squad mm. fodder player, perhaps, but not really not really somebody who's going to be first choice week in, week out. Mm. Then are we going to yeah. take subs? Ganduzi, yes, because he obviously likes him. Ramsey, obviously no, not. because he's going he's gonna to go, and there's, there, maybe there's been some input uh, from Emery into that. And who's the other sub? The other side was Mkhitaryan, who oh, yeah, 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 yeah. mentioned. Yeah. So I, th- I think, well, that that was about half the team, wasn't it, that you yeah. said were a yes on? And I think that shows probably there's still a considerable way to go in this evolution. Emery's got a three-year contract, we led to believe. So, you know, there's more change to come, one mm. suspects. Um, and the, the Urza one, I agree with you. I don't think Urza would be in Emery's kind of ideal final 11 when he's got the team that he wants to build or put together. And yeah. that's a massive, massive issue for the club to debate and deal with. It sure is. Okay, we have a couple of questions here about the uh, the 
the left-back situation. Uh, Trenry, who's at Trenry14, says, are we missing Nacho and should we look at getting a new left-back? Uh, and Mark Nuance, that's quite a good name, isn't it? Pretty subtle. Lovely. Mm, anyway, <laughs> he, he says, Kolasinac or Andre Santos? <laughs> <laughs> I think still Kolasinac. But there are parallels. There are parallels at times. Um, and Santos was a player who sort of seemed much happier in the final third than in his own third. And, you know, they just seem like that with Classic. They're both bulky as well, weren't they, at yeah, times? true. Um, I, but I do think we obviously need a left-back. I don't quite know <clears throat> why Monreal's... Oh, still there, the croak. Uh, I don't quite know why Monreal's not back yet. It seemed like he was close, didn't it? It was sort yeah. of tossed up between Classic and... I have a feeling that they... You know, they could maybe have got him back for today, but just to make sure that the, the injury didn't return, they looked at it and said he's got two weeks now. There's an inter- uh, international break, so let's not, let's not, um, let's not jeopardize. Yeah, exactly. Let's yeah. not jeopardize his, his return. And, you know, it's Wolves. We should be Wolves at home. Even, you know, let's use Kalasinac. It should be fine. It should be fine. It wasn't fine. It was not fine. It was not yeah. fine. Um, I, yeah, I think, look, we need a new left-back. We need a new long-term left-back, whatever happens because of Monreal's age. Uh, and I think we said on the show a few weeks ago that's got to be one of the big priorities for next summer. I don't think that will change in January. I think they'll muddle through until then. But they, they've got to sort that one next summer. And yeah. I think Kolasinac's days will probably be numbered. Yes, I agree. Um, question here from Echo Actual, who's at J Pendress. Uh, and they ask, how can a league instituting VAR be so unconcerned with something as objective as stoppage time? That was really weird today, wasn't it? Yes, Like it the was Wolves weird. guy was, and in fairness, he had an injury. So I know there's an element of people thinking it was time-wasting, but he did have an injury. There was blood all over his face and, and oh, all yeah. of it. So, you know, he was down for fully two minutes, though. At least, at least two minutes. But how can you put up the board for added time when the guy is still down there getting getting treatment? I don't... I, what is that? Sense. And did they just play 95 or did they play beyond that? Uh, maybe a little bit beyond, but not more than that. But it didn't seem to get started again until about the 92nd minute, 91 minutes or something, no. you know? So he was down for like three minutes. If there was already going to be five minutes of injury time... Oh, it was, it was bad, I think. It was bad. Uh, it was really bad. Because I was watching it thinking, are they going to put the board up? Surely they can't put the board up. Just wait and yeah. see. They, they kept saying on TV, like, and of course, uh, this is just a minimum of five minutes. That's the minimum requirement right. for added time. But it didn't seem like he played a great deal more than that, which maybe worked out okay for us, considering they fucking cunted one off the bar. In the the last 40 seconds, give them another two minutes and they might have scored, you know. But it is a weird thing. It seems to be quite arbitrary, doesn't it? As to what what is applicable at the end of each game. Like, apparently every time you score a goal, there's supposed to be 30 seconds because of the celebration. And there's supposed to be 30 seconds for each substitution. And there was five substitutions in that. uh, Yeah, just mad i don't quite get it i don't know how they they judge it or or anything else but they seem to get that one wrong today it's really really odd and i i was i mean the crowd were uh, understandably furious i think the players were furious um 
as it was, we didn't really sort of exert any great pressure, did we, in that period of time? It wasn't like, oh, if we get another minute, we'll win it. It might as well have might well have been the opposite. So, yeah. um, but it was. It does seem really odd. I think it's a really good question because this is a, a league that's increasingly focused on the detail of the game and the minutiae and trying to get some sort of objective rule in place, and yet it does not exist for stoppage time. Yeah. Um, mm. I mean, they have proposed, you know, alternative ideas like playing a 70-minute game with true stoppages, things like that, you know, where every time the ball went out of play, the clock stopped. I don't think it will ever come to that, but it would be nice to see a bit more logic applied because anyone looking at that would say, this needs more than five minutes. That's added fucking on. nuts. What are you fucking idiots doing? That's what That's, I would have said. They might say that as well. That's they what I would have said. What the fuck are you... What the... F- what? Come here. Show me your workings, motherfuckers. That's what I would have said. That does not add up to five minutes. It would fucking prick the workings, wouldn't That's it? That's only 300, good... 300 seconds, you fucking twats. That's yeah. what I would have said. I think you would have been well within your rights. I think so. I think so. I don't think anybody could have taken umbrage at me if I had ex- exclaimed that at the top of my voice from somewhere. That's, no. that's what I think. <laughs> For the roof of the stage. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, here's a question from Inez, who's at Inez Rock. Uh, and he says, Torreira's shooting ability has really surprised me. Would you rather have him leather one from 30 yards than Xhaka or Genduzzi? It doesn't surprise me, and only because one of the first things I ever saw of, of Torreira, one of the first clips I ever saw was him scoring like a 40-yard rocket in his native yeah. Uruguay when he first came through. Um, and he has got a decent reputation for for hitting the ball pretty sweetly. He nearly got one today, didn't he? A good strike from the edge of the box, uh, tipped over the bar. And uh, But I, I'd still choose Shaka. I think just that connection he gets on the ball is, is really really good and he's got so much power there that I think on balance it would be Shaka but Torreira not far behind right well, um, yeah I mean Shaka hit a couple didn't he today or he hit one today scored the goal yeah. against Crystal Palace I think we we um, we apply a little more to left footed players when they can hit the ball than we do to right Interesting, you know. We make more of a thing of it. Look, as as the name of the uh, famous blog goes, a cultured left foot goes a long way, right? Yeah, so you know, there is something about a left-footed player really smacking one that I think people like because you know, there's lots of right-footed players that can do it. Um, I like the way Torreira hits it though. I have to say, he had a couple of pops today. There was one where he forced the keeper into a good save, and there was one which went, which went not far over. He took a free kick, didn't he, last week? Mm-hmm. The week before, you know. So he's beginning to exert some some influence. Xhaka has scored a couple of really great goals for us. To be fair to him, he really has. Uh, so who would I prefer to see? I don't know. Just fucking <laughs> stick it in the top corner. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I don't give a shit who does it. Mustafi can do it if, for all I care. Okay. He can't, though. He definitely can't. He definitely, <laughs> definitely can't. Um, I mean, I, I'm out, I think. You're out? I'm out. Okay, yeah, I've, yeah. I've got one more here. Go I've on, got let's one do more that. Here. This is from... Uh, okay, I've got two more. One very quick one. What do you Go miss on. most about football in the 1980s slash 90s, says Gagan J. I miss Gagan the- J. Um, where 
when the ca- where the cameras were rigged at football stadiums was a little bit more treacherous and less stable. They were, the gantries were a bit less secure. So and when you, a goal go on. was scored, excitingly, right. the camera would shake more. Okay, and I loved that. Okay, I, I thought you were talking about like the death of of cameramen and commentators. Oh and no, I don't miss that. No, no, I miss I miss shaky cameras on last minute goals and things like that. Shaky I like, you know, cameras. Yeah, mm. who cares about stability if it makes you a bit dizzy or whatever? Mm. That's what I miss. Okay. Um, what about you? Short shorts. Yeah. Short shorts, see. rippling thighs, you know. I mean, Alexis Sanchez tried to bring it back, didn't he? He did, but didn't he? But no one, no one was having it. No, no one, one was suit. having it. No, nobody. So, yeah, there you go, very quickly. And the last one I have is from Rodrigo G, mm. who's at RodGooner79. And he says, I don't have a question. I'm numb to sports after the Sounders lost in the playoffs and that Arsenal performance today. I need positivity in my life. Not even sports are distracting from the shit going on in the world. So what, what message of positivity can we give Rodrigo G? I desperately want to find something for him because it sounds like he really needs it. I think we all need it, James. Come on, we're counting on you now. The world is in in crisis. Mm. It's it's crazy out there. Stuff is like the air is on fire and stuff, and waters are rising. I, I mean, is that the positive? I was going to say maybe the positive is that none of the bad stuff really matters because the world's going to blow up in twelve years or something. Yeah, but like. Do you want to be left in a situation where it's like, um, what was that that book, the Cormac McCarthy book that became the movie? The Road. The Road. Do you want to be, do you want to like have to eat your dog? I don't want to have to eat my dog. Like if the no. world ends and it explodes in a great big, all of a sudden, like, oh, uh, that's shit. But like, I don't know anything about it. What I don't want to do is push a fucking shopping cart around Wearing wearing a fucking trench coat that I stole from, like, a corpse mm. that I then had to eat because there's no food anywhere. And then I'm looking at my dog going, I'm going to have to eat my dog. Do I want to, I, you know, I can't stay. No one wants that. No. No one wants that. No one wants that. I mean, how could you, you know, so what we're looking and for is... what would you is put the, on your Instagram if you ate your dog? I mean, <laughs> there'd be no content. There'd be nothing left there, for fuck's sake. So I don't, you know, that's what I don't want. So we're trying right, to give, okay. we're trying to give Rodrigo here something that's a little less road, a little less the road, and a bit more, a more happy dog Instagram, happy highway. Yeah. Um, uh, and does it have to be about football? Doesn't. Or could it anything, just anything at this point. We're desperate. I'm I'm rifling through. I, I in the course of this conversation, I googled happy thoughts, and things didn't come up that really helped. I think. Reese Nelson coming back and saving the world is that all I can give you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Have you, have you? Can you top that? Yeah. Maybe. I think I can. I think I can. Go on. So there's a, a song. <laughs> there's a song by a Norwegian singer called Sigrid. Have you heard it? Do you know her? No. Sigrid. Oh, Sigrid. Yeah, yeah. Sigrid, What's the song yeah. called? It's called Strangers. Yeah. Right. I think I have heard that, yes. You probably have. It's a big hit. Big hit in the pop charts. It's got a great beat. All the kids love it. 
Yeah. But there's a little bit in that song where she goes, there's a little, she's singing, singing, and then she goes, whoop. And that little whoop is the happy thing. That's the happy place. That's your happy thought. That's my happy thing. That's just enjoy the whoop. Will I play it? Will I try and find it? I think you should try and find it. I'm trying to find it. Okay, hang on. I, I reckon gonna... I'll know it when I hear it, but yeah. because I'm sort of, you know... Okay, here we go. I'm hang not on. down with the kids. I don't know it instinctively. Okay, hang on. Let me see if I can get it up here. Uh, the song. One second. Uh, okay. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I know this song. You know this song? Okay. Da, 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 da. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm going to get to the bit where... Uh, it, it gives the whoop. I'm going to have to judiciously edit fa- it. Only fans of Sigrid still listening to the podcast at this point. Yeah, okay, here it is. Okay, here it comes. Here, hang on. Wait for it. See? I can't even remember the, the dull, insipid draw with wolves now. Yeah, exactly. I'm completely reborn. That's how we do it. That's how we do it. So there's <sighs> your there's your positivity, Rodrigo. The Sigrid whoop. Turn his life around. Life will be life will be better. The Sanders, Arsenal, having to eat corpses while pushing a shopping cart around <laughs> the world <laughs> just to try and survive. Can't even drink the water because it's so poisoned. None of that will matter. You've got the whoop. Just whoop. enjoy the whoop. Enjoy right. the whoop. Enjoy the whoop, guys. I'm going right. to get a tattoo that says enjoy the whoop. <laughs> enjoy the whoop. I'm going to put it on a mug. <laughs> All right, look, we better leave it there. Uh, thank you, as ever, for listening. We'll have a podcast on Friday, I guess, even though it is an interlull. So who knows what the hell we'll have. We'll do something, though, just because why not? Um, so uh, thanks, as ever. Because and we'll, of the whoop. Because of the whoop. We'll yeah. do it for the whoop. Whoop. All right. Until the next one. Bye-bye. Whoop. Whoop. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 